Thanks, Terry, for leading us in prayers this morning, and good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to have um, so many people in church, and every week it feels like we're, we're getting slightly more, um, uh, although, as Bev said, perhaps we're slightly light on leaders this morning, but I can assure you that um, Friday night and all day yesterday we were working hard, and it was a really good time together, really positive, and um, uh, we thank God for that. But this morning um, is a communion service, and later on we'll be sharing together um, the, the, the Lord's Supper. And if you, as you came in, if you, didn't, um, if you don't have any elements with you, then um, please uh, stick a hand up, and I'm sure someone will somehow bring elements to you. Yep. Um, so if you haven't got one of these pods, then please make that known, and later on in the service we will share communion together. But before we go on to that, um, I'm going to go and pick up the clicker that helps me to move the slides along, otherwise we won't get very far this morning. Now I've done that, um, <clears throat> we can carry on with the, ser- the series that we began last week, talking about the subject of grace. And you'll remember, I hope, that um, as, we, as we looked at it last week, we came to realise that grace is it's like the cement that holds the bricks of our faith together. If we don't If we don't demonstrate grace, if we don't practice grace, then we're missing out on a huge, huge, important part of the Christian faith. We're missing the message of Scripture. And this week, we're going to delve a little bit more into the implications of that. So to begin with, let's just remind ourselves what Romans, Paul says in his letters to the Romans. So he says... got it. He says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this isn't something which some need and some don't. This isn't, um, you know, if, if you find yourself sinning at some point, then, then you need to do something about it. This is, this is, a, this is, this is a, a, a blanket. This is absolutely everyone, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You, me, everyone who ever has lived, everyone who ever will live, except for Jesus. So that sounds like a pretty damning indictment. You might read that far into Romans and think, well, blow this. He's a bit of a, bit of a gloom monger. Not exactly incite, exciting, inspiring writing that I was hoping to read. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It gets worse. Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. So you know that thing that I've just told you that each and every one of you have done, that you're all sinners? Yeah, well, the the, the price you have to pay for that is death. Thanks, Paul. (laughs) What a motivator. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the, the antidote. Jesus is sent into the world by the Father who loves the children he's created in order to give The gift of grace. And the gift of grace is a gift of eternal life. Now, as some of you may be aware, a couple of weeks ago, I caught COVID. Yeah, I know, I know. Now, I've got got here, this is sort of an artist's impression of my suffering. (laughs) I've got to say, it was a lot worse than that, but, you know... <clears throat> that's, a, that's a, the worst picture I could find. And whenever I get ill, I've got, I've got this 
this. I don't like, I don't like taking medicine. I don't like sort of, I like to think that my body will eventually fight off whatever germ it is, whatever, whatever illness it is. Now, I've, I've had the, the vaccinations and stuff, um, but when I'm ill, I take it as a personal affront. I feel really ashamed almost that this, this tiny little germ has brought me down, has had this effect on me. I really don't like it. And Joe says, just take some paracetamol. For goodness sake, Tom, we've got thousands of things. Just take some paracetamol. And I won't. And she gets really annoyed with me. Um, uh, but I just don't like doing it. And once I've got over the illness, I always go through this, this process of thinking, why didn't I just take the paracetamol or whatever other thing it is that I need? Why didn't I help myself? Why did I think that it was somehow better just to front it out and deal with it myself and lay there suffering and feeling awful and moaning. Oh, actually, I can't moan. If I moan, I just get, well, I've told you what you should do. So I have to be careful on the moaning front. But I, and I'll make up these excuses, you know, taking paracetamol, it's just going to mask it. It's not going to make it go away, which, you know, is an element of truth in that. But I don't help myself. We live in a world full of people who don't help themselves. This this sin that Paul talks about in Romans, this terrible pandemic that is sweeping through the world. We live in a world full of people to whom Paul has said, all of you have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, if we fall short of the glory of God, we can't get into heaven. We cannot have that eternal existence with the Father who created us. Because the wages of sin is death. But there is something you can do. It's not a box of paracetamol in the, on the top shelf of the kitchen cupboard. It's Jesus. We can do something about our plight. In Romans 5, Paul writes about the gift of grace, which is the antidote to sin. He tells us what we need to do, and then he leaves us to do it. You see, grace, is, grace works a little bit like this. If we imagine a set of scales, that's us without Jesus. That's us refusing to accept this wonderful gift of grace that, Jesus, that God has given to the world through his son, Jesus. And in our lives, in this, this set of scales, sin is there. And there is nothing that we can put on the other side which is going to correct the balance, that's going to put things right. There is nothing at all. The wages of sin is death. We're going to be looked at on the day of judgment, and, well, there you go then. Look, you're being weighed down by sin. You can't get rid of that. Unless we turn to Jesus. Unless we accept the grace that has been offered through Jesus. And then suddenly, sin is outweighed by grace. Sin is always outweighed by grace. 
But we need to understand what grace is, because it's very easy. I think we often miss grace in this world. I know that I was certainly brought up missing grace, not by my parents, but by the school I went to. I went to a, um, a Church of England primary school. Now, it's not because it was Church of England that they missed grace. I, must, I don't want to start a denominational war, having just been here for a few weeks. But every day, every day, at the start of, um, of school dinners... We sit there with our plate. Now, that looks quite a good meal, actually. I wouldn't mind having that, but ours didn't quite look like that. Um, and you'd sit there with um, sort of a, a brown mixture, which was the, the main course, and a yellow or maybe a pink mixture, which was the dessert. And we'd have to say this prayer. And it was called grace. I'm sure some of you will be very, very familiar with it. You might even have had the same experience. We would be told that we couldn't eat, you weren't allowed to eat, until you'd given thanks and we had to sit there and say, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. Amen. Now just think for a minute. That's not grace. That's the total opposite of grace. We're sitting there with this, this plate of food. And okay, you know, I don't want to, if there's any ex-dinner ladies from, from my old school watching, I don't want to offend you. It wasn't that bad. But, you know, it wasn't exactly gourmet. It wasn't, you know, fillet steak. Um, but... We sat there with this tray in front of us, and let's just break down what happened. First of all, we were told, you're not allowed to eat until you've given thanks. So there was no sort of, are you, are you, do you want to say anything? Are you, are you grateful for that? The people who have cooked it and prepared it, the fact you've got a meal, do you want to give thanks? It was a telling, you're going to give thanks. You're going to be thankful whether you like it or not. Well, that's not grace. And then the words... The words of what we were about to say, for what we are about to receive, may the Lord make us truly thankful. So let's, we're assuming that we're not truly thankful. We can't make ourselves truly thankful. We're calling on God, who's provided the food in the first place, to make us thankful. That is not grace. And yet we bring our kids up telling them that that's grace. What hope have they got if we tell them that that's grace? That's a complete opposite of grace. That is a complete failure of grace. I think I'm over it now, but you know. It bothered me when I first realised. I still bear the scars. Jesus gives us this, this great story. He was, um, he was talking with Peter one day. And in Matthew 18... We read this passage where Peter comes up to Jesus and he says, Lord, how many times? How many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Now, in Jewish culture of the day, the sort of the unwritten rule was you forgive someone three times. You forgive them three times. They sin against you, you forgive them. They do it again, you forgive them. Happens again, oh, it's hard, but you forgive them. Three times was the standard. And then on the fourth time, on the fourth time, that was when you take them to court or you bring in a third party. You do something about it. It was generally accepted that after three times, they've had enough grace. At that point, they've been shown three lots of grace and three lots of grace is plenty. If they haven't got the hint by then, the fourth time, you don't need to show any more grace. It's okay to lose your rag and do something about it. It's okay to show the worldly reaction at that point because they've had enough grace. 
And so Peter comes up to Jesus and says, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Um, up to seven times? And most people, most, most, uh, most commentators say, well, you know, this was quite a big statement because what Peter is doing, he's taking the, the socially accepted norm of the day and he's doubling it and then adding some. He's expecting Jesus to say, seven? Are you mad? Are you a doormat? Seven times? Seriously? No. No, 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 no. Peter, that's way too much grace. Man, I wish they were all like you. God, wouldn't the world be a better place if they were all as graceful as you, as gracious as you? Seven times. Jesus answers him. He says, I tell you, Peter, not seven times. No but 77 times. Some, some translations say 70 times 7. But the, the generally accepted interpretation of this passage, whether it's seven, 77 times, seven, 70 plus 7, or 70 times 7, that's, that's just um, that, that's missing the point. The point was that Jesus was saying there should be no limit. There should be absolutely no limit to the number of times, to the amount of grace that we show somebody unlimited grace. After the service last week, Alan came up to me and said, grace, two words, unlimited favor. That was it, wasn't it? Unmerited favor. Unmerited favor, that's what you said, thank you. But it's also unlimited. Absolutely. So Jesus says to Peter, not seven times. I know you think that's good by the standards of the world, but don't judge yourself by the standards of the world. Don't look at what the world says and, and then sort of think, well, actually, I'm going, to, I'm going to call myself generous by doubling that and adding a little bit more. Just, just, just look. Don't look at the world. Look at the Father. Look at God the Father. And Jesus then, to explain this, goes on to share this parable. He says, the kingdom of God... The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had was to be sold to repay the debt. Now let's just pause in this passage for a second because what happens here is Jesus we sort of get a glimpse of Jesus, the, the entertainer. He uses a ridiculous example here. This is a stupid, ridiculous example. It's a, this is the equivalent of, um, of when Jesus says, don't, don't point out the, the, the speck in your neighbor's eye when you've got a whacking great plank in your own. It's a bit like that. Jesus used humor. We don't always get it because it can be, um, we, we, we kind of imagine, we don't imagine Jesus as an entertainer, but actually he was a compelling speaker. People flocked to him. And here, there would have been people laughing at how ridiculous it was to imagine that a master had loaned a servant this much money. This much money, um, uh, it's... It's so much. It's, it's described in some translations as 10,000 talents. That's around, it's, it's, it's north of a, a billion pounds in today's money. Okay, if you look at metal prices, so, so a talent could either be a, a measure of weight or it could be a measure of, of currency. 
and different translations differ as to how they interpret that. But whether you look at the weight or whether you look at the, the monetary amount, you cannot reach a small figure. This is a figure that is bigger than... The, it's, it's, it's like um, an oligarch lending a servant all, everything they own, their entire personal fortune. It's laughable. It's ridiculous. This is a sum so big that it would have made people laugh. And so, the man comes to the master and says, I cannot pay this debt. And so the master says, fine, okay, well, you've got to give everything you can pay, um, all your wealth, all your possessions, yourself, your wife, your children, I'm going to sell, sell them all, sell you all, and at least make back what I can. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Again, that's a stupid statement. You owe billions of pounds. There is no way. Can you imagine if you or I owed that much money and, and we said, no, 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 wait, I'll, I'll pay it back. No, you won't. Of course you won't. That's crazy. But the servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, having just received this incredible measure of grace, this unfathomable, unimaginable gesture. When the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. Again, silver coins as different, um, different weights and measures. There's a bit of conjecture. Some say it would have been around 20 quid. Others say more like a hundred. But let's remember what we're comparing it to. This was a small sum. Owed him a few hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay it back. Sound familiar? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So we have one staggering example of grace. One staggering example of a complete failure to show grace. The passage goes on. Ah, thank you. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. So suddenly we see this situation massively backfiring on the servant. He's, he's completely failed to acknowledge the grace that his master has shown him. He's suddenly been let off this, this sum of money, which really should have been, it should have condemned him to a life of slavery at best. It should have completely taken away any freedom that he had. The world would have been saying to the master, how, how can you let him get away with this? How dare he walk free? But the master did it. 
And then the guy goes outside, and rather than thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to change my life, I'm, going to, I'm not going to be in debt anymore, in fact, I'm going, to, I'm going to take pity on others, I'm going to do something, about, I'm going to make, a, make myself a better person after this experience, after experiencing this amazing grace. And then he sees a mate of his who owes him 20 quid, 50 quid, whatever it is. And he grabs him, he attacks him, grabs him by the throat, pay me back. And when a guy says, whoa, 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 give me time, he has him thrown in prison. There is no mercy, there is no grace. And so the master hears what's happened because the servants, the fellow servants are outraged. The fellow servants are appalled at this. They go back to the master, they tell him, and the master suddenly says, right, okay, well, if you're not going to show grace to others, then I'm, I'm not going to show grace to you. I tried to do a good thing in the hope it would affect you and that you would share that and that it would go on and on like a chain reaction, that grace would be passed on and on around the world, around the community. But if I show you grace and then it stops with you, I'm afraid you haven't appreciated the grace that I have given to you. And so the servant finds himself sent to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. And I don't know, I'm just sort of hazarding a guess here, but I'm guessing it would take him um, forever to pay that back. He is never, ever going to be able to pay back that debt. This parable comes with a warning. Some parables Jesus gets to the end of and leaves us hanging. It's a bit ambiguous and a couple of thousand years later we're still delving into it and still trying to work out what Jesus meant and of course it's, it's a bit like shining a light through a diamond and whatever angle you look at you see, you see a new beauty. And parables are great like that. We can never get to the, the bottom of them truly. But sometimes Jesus does give an explanation. And here we see the explanation. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. See, what Jesus has done in this, in this parable is he set up an equation. It's quite a obvious equation, but let's just remind ourselves what it is. In this parable, Jesus gives us two figures, a billion pounds and 20 pounds. And he says to us, well, just looking at those two monetary amounts, what's greater than what? And quite clearly, no one in their right mind would look at that and, and say, well, 20 is greater than a billion. Of course it's not. We know it's not. There's, it's not, it's not, even, not even up for debate. The debt paid by the master, willingly, is so much greater than the debt that was not cancelled by the servant. A billion pounds is greater than 20 pounds, yes. But you see, this is not about money, this parable. This parable is about grace. This parable is about Jesus demonstrating how we should approach people that, that upset us, that annoy us, that hurt us. How we should deal with forgiveness in our lives. And we should deal with it by applying grace. 
This is why when Peter, the whole point of this parable was in response to Peter's question, how many times should I forgive someone who's, who's, who's upset me, who's hurt me? Seven times? And Jesus goes to tell this parable. If we stop at seven, then there's a limit to grace. There's a limit to God's grace. And last week we said, didn't we, that, 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 that in order to fully appreciate God's grace, we have to firstly fully appreciate our own sin. We have to confront our own sin, and if we truly do that, we get to that point where we are the biggest sinner that we know. Not Hitler, not Putin, not Stalin, not Genghis Khan, or no figure from history that we've read about in books. It's us, because we are the only ones that know each and every angry thought and hateful word and bad intention and stupid act and thoughtless deed, all of those things. We are the only ones that know everything about ourselves, and so... If we truly confront our own sin and then suddenly we realize how much God loves us, that's when we truly confront the grace of God. It's not an easy thing to do. In fact, it's a very, very difficult thing to do. But there might be some people there thinking today whether you're in a building, whether you're online, whether you're watching this live, or whether you're watching it in weeks to come. Okay, Tom, that's, that's lovely. That's great. And, you know, someone reverses into you in a car park, and you're angry, and you're cross, and yeah, okay, I get that. You can, you can forgive that. But what about, what about the person who, who owes me a marriage? What about the person that owes me a childhood? What about the person that owes me a fortune? What about the person that owes me at least an explanation? You're telling me I've got to let that go? You're telling me that I've, I've got to forgive that, let them off? I'm not telling you that, no. No. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Being a Christian... It's a really hard thing to do. It's easy in the sense that we just have to follow Jesus. And that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds easy. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's lovely. It's wonderful. But make no mistake, there is another side to the Christian faith. And it is the side that Jesus wants us to, to grow in and to focus on. It's a side that we must confront. It's a side that says that, that whatever, whatever we do in the world, whatever experiences we have, whatever past hurts we've had, God's grace is bigger. The power of God's grace is stronger. Whatever we have been through, Jesus has been there with us. And we are called to stand apart from the world. We are called to be different, to be set aside, to be God's people. If we're truly children of God, then we have the strength inside us to show the grace that God shows to his children. That is a really strong warning at the end of that parable when Jesus said, this is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. 
He said it again in Matthew 6, for if you, in uh, Matthew 6, verse 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. In other words, if we truly want to follow Jesus, what that means is that we want to become more like Jesus. Grace should be the currency in which we deal. It should be the only currency. It's a hard thing to learn, but we must try. We must, we must faithfully keep working at it. Grace isn't something that we naturally practice. We naturally do the opposite, in fact. We naturally seek repayment. We read that parable and the world tells us that actually repayment should be something that that master should have sought. He should have sold, sold all the possessions and the children and the wife. He should have punished that guy. That's what the world says. But he didn't. He cancelled the debt. He didn't set up a payment plan. He didn't reduce it. He, he, he cancelled it. It was gone. God wants to cancel our debt of sin. But the servant goes off and he has the person who owes him the small amount thrown into prison. He, he, refuses to, he refuses to let it go. He insists on repayment. He insists on, on something, getting something back. But of course the irony is that in those days, if there was a criminal case, then someone got put in prison, then the state paid. But if it was a personal case, case like this one, then he would have paid for his friend to be put in prison. And it would have cost more than the sum in question. You see, the, the servant who threw his friend in prison is the one who really suffers out of this arrangement. Grace is greater than repayment. Grace is greater than revenge. Romans, Romans 12, 19. We read, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. We trust in God. We don't go out on a mission to try and take revenge. Because if we do that, then we're denying God. We're trying to take matters into our own hands. We're not trusting in God to bring about justice. And finally, grace is greater than resentment. In this parable, the, the servant who's just been forgiven this huge debt, he resents the fact that he's owed. He resents the fact that his friend cannot repay him. And so he has him thrown into prison. He resents it. The resentment eats away at him. He can't just show grace and let it go. He can't forgive. And of course, when you... When you allow resentment to grow in your heart, it eats away at you. The person that maybe you resent, that maybe has, has upset you, might, not, might be completely unaware. I've read before, um, there's a, a great saying that resentment and unforgiveness, if you, if you practice those things, then it's like drinking poison and waiting for your enemy to die. It makes no sense. If we allow negativity and resentment to grow up inside us, then we are the ones that suffer. Before we go 
prepare ourselves for communion. I just want us to focus on this. That equation that we came to earlier on, I actually borrowed it from um, an American author called Kyle Eidelman. And he says, what this boils down to, if we fully understand grace, we have to understand this equation here. What has been done for us is greater than what has been done to us. If we fully understand God's grace, if we fully understand it, then we should have a desire to begin the process of sharing that grace with others. Do they deserve it? No. Do we deserve it? No. Does God give it? Yes. Do we want to live like God? Yes. Will we ever achieve that? Not this side of heaven. Can we take steps towards it? Yes. And the best place to start that journey is with this equation. The grace of God means what has been done for us by Jesus on the cross is greater than anything that could have been done to us. We're going to pray now and then we're going to sing a song before we share communion together. Father God, I don't think we can ever quite contemplate the depths and the power of your grace. But Lord, when we read about the life of Jesus, when we learn from his teaching, we come to see that the gift of grace is something so much bigger than we could ever imagine. It is the most precious gift that you gave us through Jesus. And Father God, I know that I struggle with it. And I know there'll be other people here who, who struggle with that. And it's not something that we can simply achieve in one Sunday morning. It may take a lifetime. But Lord, our prayer this morning is that each one of us will take that first step on that journey of grace. Acknowledging our own sin. Seeking to forgive those who have sinned against us. And then seeking to follow you. Knowing that through this unimaginable grace, one day you will perfect us and bring us in to your eternal rest in heaven. Father God, we thank you for your word. And as we prepare ourselves now for communion, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his sacrifice. We thank you for his love. And we thank you for his grace. In Jesus' name, amen.